All right, there we go. Hector Roos, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm uh, I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show, man. You know, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording. I mean, you're in, you know, one of the biggest um, races in in the country right now. I mean, I think all eyes are on Florida, you know, in in large part because of uh, you know DeSantis and and kind of the following uh, that he's gotten over the past, I don't know, year year and a half or so. But how, how has the campaign trail been treating you so far? How have you found, you know, that, um, you know, that campaigning has been in a, in, a, in a state like Florida, in a race like that? I mean, I'm wondering just how how the experience has been so far for you. So I've helped out a lot of campaigns over the last, um, you know, 13, 14 years. Uh, this is the first time I run for office, so I'm, I'm seeing it from a different perspective. Uh, and on, honestly, my entrance into the race was a little late. So, you know, we had to make a decision about, you know, whether we were going to run a candidate or not. And, you know, if it was a year, you know, a year ago or a year and a half ago, we probably would have made a different decision. Uh, but, you know, fast forward and you see, you know, the, um, you know, the national red flag laws were passed uh, that, uh, by Congress. And, you know, that was based on the Florida red flag laws. Uh, you see taxes, inflate, inflation crisis. And really, we have a property insurance crisis in Florida that's increasing the, you know, on top of the inflation, right? That's increasing the cost of living uh, so much for people in Florida that, you know, there's there's speculation that there's going to be a, a lot of people who are going to have lose their homes for foreclosure because they just can't afford it anymore. You know, uh, energy costs are going up. So people, you know, it's, it's north of 300% in just a couple months. So it's, uh, you know, I, I always say the example of people in uh, the, the, the chair of the Libertarian Party of Florida, you know, got a bill for like $700 in one month for his electricity bill. And he, you know, he, he doesn't live in a big house. So oh it's uh, other people are, you know, are seeing it too. I'm, I'm at least paying like another hundred bucks more than I would the year before. So it's, uh, it's, it's hitting people on different levels and different ways. And really the, the answer from um, the Republican gov, you know, led Florida government with this, with uh, governor Ron DeSantis has been just silence. Uh, they, you know, they've, promise to do things but it'll be like oh we'll do it next year or you know that sort of thing uh or i'm oh, we're serious about helping you guys but uh you know it's like you know and and seriously i mean there was a the governor at least has at this point made at least one public statement uh like a press conference announcing that he was going to have this uh like a special legislative session to resolve all these issues and you know a month later it didn't happen and we're almost you know we were, we're about nine weeks nine weeks to the election so it's not basically not going to happen, uh, and that's that's sad uh, because all, a lot of these uh, this crisis that we're living in terms of cost of living, everybody around the country is feeling it. In Florida, we're just feeling it a different way uh, because we don't really, you know, our average income is is uh, median income is less than uh, than other states, uh, so we feel it. You know, Floridians feel it a little bit more. Um, so it's just it's just sad that that's what that's what the elections turned into is this, is is this really Reminds me of uh, the old, uh, you know, '92 election for president. You know, where uh, where you had a Republican and a, and a Democrat, you know, uh, asking for people's votes, and then you had this independent candidate, Ross Perot, saying, you know, you're forgetting the people in the middle. You're forgetting the people who have to make a living, and and it's the economy, stupid, right? As that big uh, that big state that big saying back then, and I think this is what this election's turned into. So exciting to see that we have we're in the right 
we're, we have a candidate. We have, I'm not the only candidate on the statewide ballot. We also have a uh, Dennis Missigoy who's running for U.S. Senate uh, yes. that I actually had to join him. I'm joining him on the campaign trail because he's been running for more than a year. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's we are holding line both on, on foreign policy and domestic policy. Uh, and I feel like like the timing for us couldn't be better, but it also means that unfortunately the timing couldn't be worse for Floridians. Uh, and but you you feel it. You, you see you see people trying to put put together what this all means. Ultimately, you know you you have some people. You know the governor has really been buoyed by the mainstream media. He's definitely more popular outside the, of, of Florida than he is inside of Florida. You know because just people see different see it differently because of how the media portrays it. But realistically, the poll the polls are showing that the the governor's approval rating is slipping under uh, under fifty percent. Never a good sign. You know, we uh, we have to remember that this is a governor who uh, was elected only because he was endorsed by Donald Trump uh, in his first, uh, in, you know, in the first midterm years of his of his election after his uh, the, the, the 2016 election. And, you know, even and even now, many people really don't know, don't, didn't know him that well. He, he barely won against a, a much poorer uh, candidate on the Democratic side. Uh, that uh, that went to you know less you know, I think he won by less than a quarter of a percent. So these elections, I mean, a libertarian does matter in these elections. These issues matter, uh, and we're not going to let Democrats and Republicans ignore these issues. Uh, these are bread and butter issues, and and frankly, I'm, I'm disappointed in Democrats that they haven't been a stronger opposition party. But then again, it leaves the opportunity for the libertarians to come in and and be that opposition. Um, you know why don't they oppose uh, DeSantis because or, or the Republicans because they mostly agree with one another that they're all, they're all playing this cultural Marxism program out there and trying to gin people up and get them upset about everything else but what what's important. So uh, th- here's where we are in the lay of the land. Yeah, and you know I I think um, <clears throat> you know you mentioned uh, you mentioned Dennis and I think it's I think it's really awesome. I th- I think Florida has one of the strongest you know uh, libertarian tickets this time around. I mean, he, he's like you said, he's been out there campaigning for a while and, you know, you, you've hopped into the race for governor. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's really awesome to see two strong libertarian candidates, both on the ticket at the same time. And it's, it's really, it's really good to hear that you guys are campaigning with one another and, and getting out there. You know, it seems that, uh, at least in my mind, Florida seems like a place where a libertarian message would do really well, especially when you're looking at you know, an incumbent governor like DeSantis. I mean, is that what you've found uh, since you've been campaigning? I mean, are voters really, you know, resonating with that libertarian message? Yeah, uh, and it's true on both sides of, of the aisle or, or perspective or ideology. You know, you had a, a Democratic primary that finished up on August 23rd. Uh, mm-hmm. The, you know, the former Republican governor, Charlie Chris, who's now served three terms in Congress as a Democrat, uh, is uh, he wants to you know present himself as a fresh face, uh, but he defeated uh, basically the the homegrown Democrat uh, elected le- leader who 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 won uh, on uh, on without the support of the political establishment. This is Nikki Fried on right. the issue of medical marijuana and you know basically this idea of, of uh, bodily autonomy. Right, you can put whatever you want in your body, uh, and you don't need permission from government. Uh, and then seeing, you know, all her votes that, you know, you wonder where are they going to go, but naturally that's a libertarian message. So, you know, you know, we can certainly reach out to Democrats who feel that this this idea of of, you know, 
you should decide what the, you're able to put into your own body for health reasons, particularly as well as recreational reasons. You know, anything that is uh, is an idea that we can we can promote on the on the um, on the right or towards conservatives. You know, people really are upset still that that you know school boards just recently unmasked in in March. You know, this was from a, a lot of a lot of parents were very upset and went to the school boards in, in different places in Florida. And they made a lot of noise to the extent that the FBI put out a, a formal statement calling them all domestic terrorists. So, you know, Golly. lo and behold, I mean, you know, last night, you know, everyone was called basically a domestic terrorist. So uh, from Biden's uh, Biden's uh, inaugural speech on the on the lawn that made me reminded me of V for Vendetta. But this oh, is all yeah. Cult- yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. all cultural. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all cultural Marxism because nobody's paying attention to these, you know, bread and butter issues. Yeah. So we have the opportunity. I didn't um, I didn't listen to uh, Biden's speech the other night. I did see all the memes uh, from, you know, from the background he was speaking in front of. And I think the V for Vendetta comparison is is pretty accurate. Did, did he re- did he really call like, you know, what, what, what exactly did, did he say, you know, in, in, in calling people fascist? I, I, I didn't listen to the speech at all. So, in other words, he, he was being critical of people who didn't agree with him, saying that he was losing his patience with them. Uh, and the fact that, you know, that he was trying to, uh, uh, how do you say the expression is, intimidate. He was trying to intimidate people on the, who, who, who didn't, who obviously didn't agree with him, right? So right. when you, when you look at that, you know, he, he was, he basically, you know, these are, these are the steps that we're all concerned about in terms of criminalizing dissent, right? So that, you, right. you know, that people who don't agree with him are extremists and that they, if, if you express an extreme way of thinking, that there's going to be ramifications. Of course, it's 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 all uh, nebulous. It's not you know anything specific or concrete. But we've seen the direction you know that that we've seen the direction that this government has been going towards, uh, and you know unfortunately it was like that also under Trump. But Trump didn't really control his own government either. So we've been just living under this bureaucratic regime that that is trying to stifle dissent any which way. I mean, if, pr- frankly, if they can do it to a city president, they can do it to any of us. Oh, absolutely. I know the, um, I know there's been some stuff come out about uh, Charlie Crist's running mate. Um, I, I guess she was the head of the teachers union down there. And, um, you know, they pulled up some some different, you know, different tweets of hers, different clips of her talking about, um, you know, I mean, pretty much saying the same thing about the people that were going to the school board meetings and and everything like that, just, you know, demonizing them and making them out to be, I I mean, you know, essentially, you know, comparing them and and calling them domestic terrorists, you know, just for going to a school board meeting and, and voicing their concerns. I mean, that just seems that that's crazy to me. You know, how, how did, how, how did we get to a point like that where, you know, concerned parents wanting to, to express their concerns to the, school board which you know the which would be the appropriate place to do it are now being called domestic terrorists and and everything else i mean how how did we even get to a point like this it just seems so it would have seemed unthinkable years ago but now it's just it's just so commonplace you want me to tell you the truth or you want to give me a political answer i want the, i want the truth <laughs> i hope you and your and your listeners can handle the truth because the the reality is that we've we've been uh you know, not we, but the the public, right, has been going, has been 
uh, entertain this debate about school choice, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's heard about school choice. So the, the reality is that it used to be called parental rights. So when you changed it from parental rights to school choice, then what if you didn't agree with your it, it, it suddenly changed from we are accountable to parents to if you don't like it, GTFO, right? Mm -hmm. And go, go to your school of choice. In other words, that is what happened. The people have lost the right to hold these school boards accountable because the, the, the oxygen that was sucked up in the room was directed toward if you don't like it, choose something else. So that's really where we're at. Uh, and the, the reality is that uh, that has been something that we're now you know, pushing back on because you don't have to live that way. You, you, we don't have to go. Uh, it, how do I say this? We don't have to uh, make it difficult for us to go through this entire process, find something else to uh, some other type of education for our children. If we're literally paying for the service that that we're supposed to have for our children. Right. You know, no matter what, in Florida, we have obligatory property taxes that, that are pay that pay into a fund that pays for our public education in Florida. It's enshrined in the Florida Constitution that the government is responsible for providing uh, adequate education for children. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, maybe I have to repeat that because it's not it, it's not an absurd comment to say. So what does it mean that we go from parental rights to school choice? That really the difference is is uh, is government involvement. So in this case, we went. You know, the, re the reason why parental uh, rights was the most important uh, step is because basically it meant that the last person who had the right to say anything about how the child's education happened should be the parents. When you switch to school choice, now it's government gives you these options for you to choose from. You choose it. We'll let you choose one of the one of these. These are the ones that we approve for you. So there's a model of government co-parenting there that is insidious, that that whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, is is something that that uh, is defended by both sides against parents. So that's that's really where it comes back from. That is really the truth of 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 how we got to this point where even speaking up in school boards as a parent is is now seen as something uh, divisive when it's used to be something normal. And it, it didn't always be that way. I think in Florida, it really started changing after the 2014, 2016 elections when school choice really started becoming uh, this wedge issue uh, because right. then you're, you're focusing not on the quality of the education, not on the parent's right to choose, but on, on whether or not government would give you that choice or not, whether the, you're picking a, basically a, a politician who sides uh, with school choice groups versus uh, teachers unions, right? So right. that's it's really become a, a, a political question, not a question of values. That that's really where it comes down to. So so how would so how how would Florida return to a more you know a you know, an education model that um, <clears throat> you know is is parent centric, you know, I mean, how would it, it, you know, I mean, is it as simple as, you know, getting the, the state government to remove their influence from, you know, from this issue or, or you know, how to, how would you, how would, how would you as governor, you know, sort of try to fix so, you know, this particular issue? It's a good question. And so the libertarian approach for, uh, for rental rights is 
the is returning decision making back to to teachers, administrators, and parents, right? They, mm-hmm. they, it takes a village, in other words, to raise a child, and that's always been the paradigm uh, in in public education. Now, now that uh, there are different types of public education, of course, you you know you, you not simply curriculum based education, which is what t- people typically think about when they look at a public school. You have mm-hmm. uh, you know the charters, public charters. You have uh, these uh, specialty uh, schools like magnet programs. Uh, and 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 there are others. The the point is that each of them are. You don't have to have. We how do I say this? Uh, so giving it back to the teachers to have the flexibility, giving it back to the parents to work with the teachers. Because right now you, we have public policy that's been put in place by Republicans in in the legislature legislature of Florida, signed by the governor, uh, that creates division between them. So mm-hmm. for example, the the famous "Don't Say Gay" bill that Democrats called it, which which was uh, formerly called the parental parental rights uh, in choice act to, to that effect. I mean, it's a misnomer, right? And it's never really about what they call it. So really, what they did with that law was, you know, the, the whole basis of it was, hey, if you're a, you know, we're not going to let you teach uh, anybody under fourth grade about the birds and the bees, about sexuality, about any of that. Period. You know, whether you have permission of parents or not, it's just not going to be allowed. Fine. Now they did that. But again, it's an intervention that literally took the choice away from parents and, and, and created a, a, a gotcha system for, for teachers. If a, if, a, if a student actually asked a question about this topic, then a, parent's not allo- a teacher's not allowed to say anything about it. Go, go ask your parent, go do this or do that. And they, accident, they accidentally do mention something away, uh, uh, in, uh, about it. They could be dismissed under that law. They can be sued. They could, a lot of things could happen under, there's a lot of redress under that under that law that creates more uh, friction in the classroom and in the teacher-parent environment. So that's really where we're, you know, really what we should be doing. We should be devolving this back into the teacher-parent relationship uh, rather than having it focused on on the politics and, and the school choice versus the teacher's union. Uh, and ultimately, the teacher's union doesn't care about teachers' rights. They just care about their political influence, right? Or, or the way a teacher independence to work with parents. They don't care. If they did this, you know, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have to argue about school choice because the teachers could be open to choose. In fact, in Florida, uh, the a former Dem- a, a Democrat 25 years ago uh, had a has a in, in, uh, signed a law into a, a, a law that that allowed parents and teachers to join together to to uh, to have a a parent uh, basically a, a trigger election. They can trigger elections to take schools independent. So if you don't like your school board, if you don't like the politics of it, if you want to empower parents and teachers in the way I just described, then shoot, they, you can you can just do it on your own. You can trigger an election. If everybody, if a majority of teachers and parents agree, school goes independent, you have your own governing board uh, and you get your own funding. I mean, that, but, but no one wants to talk about it in, in Florida because it distracts from the issue of the school politics, of, of who controls this pot of money, who can use these as wedge issues in politics? And, and I'm telling you, people are getting a, are are uh, people are really using school choice these days as a wedge issue and for for, for politicians to win narrow elections. You know, so Florida it comes up in Florida because it is it's it's demonstrated that uh, that you can win on elections with on this issue alone. Yeah. Now that now that law you you mentioned right there sounds. Super interesting. Uh, is, is that 
I mean, is that a power that's been used uh, in Florida in the past yeah. a lot, like to, uh, to trigger those elections? Uh, or? Unfortunately, not. We have a uh, maybe three or four governing uh, governing uh, board schools like that. So uh, that's that's the um, that's the problem with it that we 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 wish we could do more, we could have more, but you know if it it's it's usually teachers union reps that don't want it to happen. Uh, mm. I can tell you that I'm quietly pursuing a uh, the support of a teachers union uh, and 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 teachers and parents in particular schools where they're underrepresented, you know, um, by the by the, the school district itself. I mean, there are places where it's ideal like that, right? Where even the teachers, even, even the teachers in the teachers union, you know, not on the big scale, but on the local scale may want to participate in this kind of law. Mm, that's interesting. I really, huh. Well, I'm going to pull up the, uh, the statute right now. So a second. Okay. Yeah, no, that would be, no, that's, that's really interesting. I hadn't. I don't you know. I'd, I'd never heard of a law like that, that it seems. <laughs> It seems like a really cool power for them to have. Right. I'm just, I'm happy that the legislature hasn't actually done anything to pull back. It could have made it better and easier to use. But right. the, the, the reality is, is that we have a, uh, we, we just, the, the, the politics wants to go elsewhere. So in other words, there's, if you, uh, if you created all these new independent governing, uh, uh, you know, governing schools or independent districts, uh, then it's taken away from the the reason why charter school public charter schools should exist and and they do work on a profit model like a for profit model so you're basically taking money away from people. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, so there there is a reason why that it hasn't necessarily happened. Hmm, but it's been on the it's been on the books for like 25 years, you say? At least 25 years. Back when wow. uh, Charlie Chris was a Republican, they they actually modified it to make it even make it uh, somewhat stronger. Mm. I wonder if that's, it's probably not something he would champion now being a, you know, being a democratic nominee and, and having a teacher's union head as his right. running mate, I, I assume. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment, but the, the, I found the, the law specifically reads Florida parent empowerment law. Also Florida statute 1002. Point thirty-three, uh, and then uh, section three, but there's three schools in Florida that have been converted uh, anywhere. So that from from last time I checked, uh, people want more information. There's a guy here, here down in my community in Miami that I tried to do it for his school, and he's you know basically created a website where he um, hosts his story and how to make this happen. Uh, he failed in this in his election trigger election, uh, but mm -hmm. he uh, but he it, the documentation is pretty good, and his website is Parent Guardianship School dot com so it's uh it's, it's fairly straightforward process now uh, as for a char uh, for teachers unions they are you know it, it is an influence game at the teachers union level uh, especially at the higher level and they basically delivered a lot of votes for charlie christ over mm -hmm. his um, democrat opponent in the primary nikki freed uh and he won decidedly the 60 40. so you know if it was if it was a payback for for uh for that i can certainly understand why uh, he uh, recruited this uh, union boss, basically. Uh, and if it's, and, and frankly, um, you know, I'm in Miami myself and I'm looking at what they're doing. And uh, there's also a calculation play there that they think that they can get, you know, teachers, which there's probably about, uh, you know, good 50,000, 60,000 teachers in Miami-Dade County. 
where where the uh, running mates a, a union boss of, and they're pushing for a you know a, a one-time uh, you know uh, tax uh, tax to pay P teachers more. It's a supplement, right? So it's mm-hmm. going to be on the ballot also in November, uh, and they you know and she's um, you know the union boss has been pushing this, and so the idea is that hey you know join the team make some more money. And there's so many teachers that participate uh, that are, that are, you know, that are represented by that union. They feel that they can, that alone might be the the silver bullet to winning the election being that there's been um, most of these elections uh, statewide elections for governor um, are very tight. They're usually under 1%, 1%, you know, 1% can be any, I mean, the Santos was elected by less than a quarter of a percent, which was about 38,000 votes. So you can, you can see that there's a, there's a big, there's a lot of room there for for this kind of strategy to work out, and obviously it's not the only school, it's not the only county that is um, that has a school board, a, a teacher union backed uh, referendum to or t- you know t- uh, tax referendum right to uh, to sub to create a supplement payment for for teachers who are you know in Florida they are underfunded uh, for the most part. Mm. You know you, you can always tell. Um, just put it to you this way, and in, in, I think uh, in, in in some of these uh, uh, countries in Europe, they uh, they they pay teachers like three times more in effect to what they pay in the United States. So right. in some of the southern countries, they pay you know sorry, sorry some of the uh, states in the south, they pay teachers even less. So it just it goes to show you know where you know what is actually um, how how is uh, how are resources being allocated, and frankly you know I, I do believe that there is. Um, well, there's it, it. It's not a problem with with school funding. It's a problem of school districts allocating funding to to teacher pay. I think they're purposely creating the situation too to, to keep the politics going, because they you know politicians thrive on on this type of conflict that they can always kick the can down the road, promise things, and and they keep promising things to to fix it uh, when they come back to re-election. Just one more term. I just need another four years to to fix this issue. Mm-hmm. How many times have we heard that from a politician? <laughs> an endless amount of times right they, they don't want to do the work it's not they're not built to do the work our political process doesn't reward work no i think you're absolutely right if you if you fixed all the issues you said you were going to fix i mean what would you run on in re-election <laughs> you just it i mean you're absolutely right it, it really benefits people to just keep you know, kind of keep the status quo and keep harping about the same issues they've been harping about for years and years and years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the everyday person that, that gets the shaft, you know, like they don't, you know, they're stuck with these same choices that they get every year pretty much. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that's why so many people, you know, in, in recent years have started looking towards, you know, the Libertarian Party. I mean, the Libertarian Party is hotter than it's, than it's ever been. And, and it's because people are so fed up with the, with their choices. And I want to, I want to backtrack just, just a little bit. You know, I'm curious as to, you know, how you first got involved in politics and, and how you first got involved with the Libertarian Party. Good question. So I had been a, an early Ron Paul supporter. And I mean, early does not mean 1988. I mean, I mean, 2007. Uh, okay. And I was, uh, you know, I was one of those guys who who learned about libertarianism through his example, through his speeches, through his debates. 
You know, I was, I definitely was there live to watch the Giuliani moment between him and, uh, between uh, him and uh, Dr. Paul. Uh, I served on both campaigns uh, and, and ultimately, you know, I, you know, we, um, as a, as a movement, you know, after those campaigns, it's kind of like, well, what do you do next? Right. So I wasn't too uh, actively involved in the movement. I still did a lot of work in the, in the political scene. I helped a lot of candidates. Um, You know, I worked with a lot, with a lot of consulting firms and, and, and just developed, uh, developed, the, the tool set for how, how politics are, are put together and, you know, increase what they call a operational, um, you know, it, uh, understanding of, of politics. So mm-hmm. I, it wasn't really until 20, the, the 2020 election that I had to, I was looking you know, in lockdowns and, and the pervasive and tax increases. And, and I already lost faith in the Republican party that, that they would, that they were anything that they were a minarchist organization that they, you know, all they want to do is tweak, uh, tweak tax rates, but but they still wanted, you know, just they just wanted to settle for lesser increases of spending, lesser increases of taxes. Um, they they wanted to control uh, people's people's op- uh, options in any of in any parts of the market, whether it was healthcare or education. And, and frankly, uh, I I 2020 came around, lockdowns happened, and you know my distaste at that point was already. Uh, had already reached a breaking point when I know saw that you know there was no pushback, relatively little pushback regarding uh, you know this idea that you know and frankly it was a Republican administration that started the, the lockdowns right right, right. Uh, there very little very little pushback you know obviously the mandates you know that we're we're going to live live through a course of mandates the Democrats you know weren't we're not weren't opposing any of that and so frankly. Yeah, and ultimately, we you know we've seen in Florida is uh, this con- is this kind of um, decline uh, of of uh, of the political scene, the, the public debate, uh, where you know where Demo- Democrats and Republicans are walking such such hand in hand that they have nothing really to oppose each other on, and they keep playing this cultural Marxism game where you know they want to call somebody you know they want to call each other out on some kind of cultural issue, even if it's happening in another state like. You know, uh, well, without getting into an example, uh, and, and then ultimately, I, I had to make a choice. You know, I was uh, doing some uh, interviews back uh, back then on, um, on on different community uh, community platforms, and I started interviewing other libertarians for for office uh, and people representing the local parties. And I made a choice ultimately to to switch over once I started hearing about uh, you know this this uh, group within the Libertarian Party. Uh, called the Mises Caucus that was uh, basically calling calling people who are libertarians just not in the Libertarian Party. I mean, there are a lot more libertarians that just uh, that do not that are not in the Libertarian Party than there are in the Libertarian Party by by large. Right. Uh, and the they were just calling people back to hey, this this Libertarian Party thing. It's called the Libertarian Party. You know, they they were silent during COVID. They were silent in 2020. They didn't say anything about lockdowns or mandates or or push back against really this this totalitarian moment that we've lived in our lives, uh, and and ultimately I said, well, what's the plan after that? Well, we're going to run someone who is who basically is is as knowledgeable about the issues and as dynamic as a, as a Ron Paul, but like a younger Ron Paul. I said, wow, that, that sounds like a great idea. We can we can really pursue these messaging the way we want to without having to uh, deal with uh, you know the at the end of the day, these these political parties are private clubs, right? So, right. you know, you know, back in the Ron Paul days, there w- there was attempts to do something similar at, in the Republican Party that just fell flat in its face because it's a private club. So if they they can change the rules whenever they want, 
Uh, and in the Libertarian Party, you have to. It was easier just to say we're going to take over the whole shebang, and and uh, and really restore it back to its to its roots, right? So, in other in other words, these this little to no government roots, where you know government is not intervening on every aspect of our lives, uh, and you know where we do have where we where government does exist, it's not done so in a way that is intrusive, uh, or manipulative or coercive. More importantly, you know, at the you know that you have to do what they say, or at at the point of a gun, right? So right. you're entering into a relationship because with 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 the government because you want to, uh, and be and and uh, that's a, a much different uh, story than you know what it, what we've been living in under COVID and under the lockdowns for for two years. I mean, and frankly, I mean that that's my so that's my journey. You know, I joined the state board of Libertarian Party. I'm the I'm the can, chair of the candidates committee for the Libertarian Party of Florida. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I looked around and, I was, you know, we had this great guy named Dennis Missigoy, who's running for U.S. Senate. Uh, we've had a number of other can candidates who, who are running for Congress on the normal ballot as well. And I, I'm in charge of recruiting all these candidates for local office. And, uh, and I see the biggest, biggest office that we have for governor isn't being met. And people are, have expressed opinions about it. But there's been this interesting pushback about, well, well, we don't want to offend DeSantis because maybe he'll do what we say if we ask him nicely to keep our give us back our freedoms or give keep our freedoms yeah you know protect our freedoms but if you have to beg at this point it's not it's not a uh it, it's not a, a sovereign relationship to to someone who is it, you've turned the, the relationship between a voter uh, to, and a politician around or a sovereign to a servant around right so mm -hmm. now we have to act like the servants or the slaves to and beg for our rights no our rights are inalienable that's what our that's what our faith set, our, our credos, our, our founding fathers have established. That's what's in our founding documents, uh, whether it's the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. These rights are fundamental. We don't have to beg for them. We just live them. So, that, so that's where uh, ultimately, you know, there, there was still a, quite a bit of pushback. If this was, um, if I was saying I wanted to run a year and a half ago, this conversation would, would have been way different. And but ultimately, spring forward, you know, what changed was was ultimately you start seeing the Democrat-controlled Congress, uh, you know, U.S. Congress, basically say use Florida's laws, such as red flag laws, uh, as as basically a model for their red flag laws nationally, and they're and, and they're going basically testing you know, through Republican-controlled Florida government, they're testing policies uh, that any Democrat, uh, or, you know, led policy. You know, Led government would would espouse themselves as a model for the rest of the country, and at that point, and you don't see any pushback from leadership uh, from Republican leadership. You have to say, you know, there's really nothing to lose, you know, because we're getting we're getting it we're getting the same policies that if a Democrat was if Democrats were running Florida as if we're as if we're, when Republicans are are running it. So what's the point? There's no difference, right? Uh, and and so we we really don't have anything to lose in Florida. Uh, we have everything to gain because ultimately the the purpose of of campaigns uh, is if is one of two things either win or gain influence you know that is expand the the culture uh, take the issues to task contrast recruit I mean, by and far uh, if anything's if if anything's true it's this that that campaigns or candidates are the number one recruiters for political parties no, and political movements generally it's the candidates. Not, you know, these not these issues out there. They want pe people want to see other people stand up and, and be assertive on the issues they, they 
they believe and they can prove are uh, are right. And, right. and that's really that's at the heart of this campaign. That is the first and foremost goal of the uh, of this campaign. Whether Ron DeSantis wins wins reelection or, or wins reelection or loses, uh, that's up to voters who decide to choose him uh, over over me or, or Charlie Crist, uh, you know, who's a, a former Republican wanting to run for uh, for I think it's his fifth time running for governor uh, in his third in his third political party. <laughs> Yeah, it's his fifth time running for governor. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> he, he ran. He ran like uh, five times, to- three times for Repu- as under Republican. He ran once as an independent, and this is his first time as a as a Democrat. Damn, you guys just can't get rid of him. <laughs> he just keeps coming back in in a in a different colored cloak. Um, yeah. I think you said something real interesting there, though, is that um, there's 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 more libertarians outside of the party than there are in it. And I, I can't remember who I was talking to. It might have been um, it might have been Dan Berman. But, um, you know, I, we were talking about how, you know, we, we feel that libertarianism is, is the default setting for for most people. I mean, most people just kind of want the government to leave them alone and, you know, they, they can do whatever they want to do. But, you know, voters feel they feel trapped in, in the duopoly like they, you know, they feel like they have to vote. Democrat or Republican, you know, for their vote to, to matter. That's what you hear a lot of people say. Um, you know, they, they, they don't want to throw their vote away on a, on an independent or a third party candidate, but, you know, I, I think just over the past couple of years, more people have kind of thrown that logic to the side, realizing that, you know, the two parties that they've been propping up this whole time just are not representing their best interest whatsoever. And, and like you've, you've been saying, you know, not, not only are they not representing the voters interests, they're actually coordinating with one another to enact policies that, that don't really do anything except oppress voters. And I, you know, I think it's, I, and you're absolutely right. Candidates and campaigns are the biggest recruiter uh, for parties. And, you know, I, I think that that's something that it's, it's crucial for libertarian, the libertarian party and libertarian candidates to understand. It's like you're the base of voters that you have to work with is, is way bigger than, than anyone would realize, I think. Um, and it's just, um, I don't know. And, and that's why I think it's important to run like really strong candidates. Like I said before, you know, I think Florida has, you know, a really awesome libertarian ticket this time around. I think, I think New York has a really good, uh, libertarian ticket this time around. Um, and you, you mentioned that, that you are in charge of, um, recruiting libertarian candidates for office there in Florida, right? Yes. So, so what, what does that process, uh, in, entail? How do you go about doing that exactly? I'm, I'm really interested. So the, the first thing is, is, um, I'll, I'll point out to you this way. The reason why politics is, is generally so messed up in America is you know, people said it this way. Uh, basically, we, we have an older uh, uh, group of, of an aging out leadership. You know, the average age in, in Congress, for instance, is, is well over 70 years old. You know, oh, yeah. uh, the, the oldest member in co- of the Senate is Chuck Grassley. He's 92 or maybe 93 at this point. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi's in her upper 70s. The, pres- the current president of the United States is, is, is over the, is what, 82, 83? Something um, I'm not sure. I, th- I think he's a he's around 80. I'm not exactly sure where at, but he's a, he's around there. Right. So he's uh, he's 79, actually. 
okay. it looks a lot old. So uh, the point the, the point is that so you have you have uh, these people who are gener- who are holding back other generations from serving in public life, and they just kind of h- held this monopoly on political control. Uh, to a certain extent, it's been said that Gen X so was has completely been skipped over from from political participation. So now you know you know Florida looks like they're going to elect their the first millennial member of Congress who's going to be a Democrat out of the Orlando area. I mean, that's, you know, for the first time and, and no Gen Xers, there are very few little uh, Gen Xers that got, uh, they got, uh, that got that chance to do so. So uh, this is true as you go down in government uh, in level layer, levels of government where there's, it's less competitive. Uh, if it's like, a, uh, if you're outside of an urban area where there's a lot and competitive means like there's, who wants to really invest a lot of time and effort in a in a government that doesn't control a lot of things like big budget, uh, big uh, taxi districts or a port or an airport or you have something big like a big population. So beyond outside of those areas, it's very it's not competitive at all. I mean, it's basically no one wants to get in there. You have the same people with the same. There's very little turnover. People often get elected without any any opposition. So there's no election whatsoever. Some people will just get elected once and. They never get have to face another election for ten or twenty years, and the average age is over is over seventy. So, you know, recruiting candidates for the Libertarian Party really is uh, at the very at minimal. You know, are you uh, are do you are you good moral character? Do you understand what a libertarian is? Uh, and do you um, and do you live in any of these areas? And if you don't, well, would you like to move? You know. Uh, the, the reality comes down to is, you know, our elected, we have a lot of, we have elected officials in nonpartisan seats from special taxing districts to, to city commissions of sizable cities. We even have a mayor, <clears throat> but there, but that's still a, you know, we just need to keep building on these numbers uh, and building on these numbers is, is really the task of the committees themselves. You create a, a list of people who are even interested in running for office uh, or supporting other candidates and you just start creating a pipeline. Uh, and you know we have 400 municipalities in the state of Florida, 67 counties. That means 67 school boards. You know there's some school boards that you can get elected with like 500 votes. Kid you not. And there's some that you you do need like 10,000 votes. And right. a lot of them are like that. And some of them are countywide where you need you know 200,000 votes. So it, it's it's a different game for each situation. But there's not as the the smaller the race, the less competitive it is. And that's really where our resources and our talent can be can be best. Get best focused, but again, you know, election like governor or U.S. Senate or something statewide is uh, is uh, is a is a megaphone for the movement. So you can't put down the megaphone either. You know, you have to you have to do what you can. Um, you know, uh, I would also be remiss is that there's different strategies for for running for uh, running for big elections. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one is you know we do. Uh, I tend to support weaponizing the the what's called the spoiler effect. Uh, the spoiler effect basically means that if you're in a, you're in a state where it's uh, the elections are close, statewide elections are close, then you can have an, an oversized impact on the election uh, by basically receiving more votes than the spread between the the, the two the, the other the top two uh, candidates. So someone who's done this a number of times, who's been called a spoiler, uh, is um, is in, is in Georgia, and I'm trying to remember his name right now. It just escaped my mind. But the, uh, but in Georgia, with the Libertarian candidate there has run for U.S. Senate. Now he's running for for Florida governor. I'm sorry, for Georgia governor. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, at the end of the day, we, we have to feel that um, that we have a seat at the table because we can say, 
you're not paying attention to this issue. This is why you're losing this election, not because we're simply on the ballot, because people are expressing their preference, right? So right. that that's really what comes down to it. Now, I, I do want to yeah. mention a quote by Alexander Hamilton, which you know is is centered to why we why, uh, well, which is centered uh, to this. Ex- well, let me double back real quick. Mm-hmm. That this is what it, the effect of recruiting candidates and 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 what the strategies are for the Libertarian Party as a minor as a as a as a the third party that that's that's sitting behind the the big two, uh, which is you know we are trying to espouse the, the the issue that we're giving people a choice. We're giving people an ability to choose their preference, to choose their conscience, not vote against their own conscience. So in other words, you know we are trying to highlight to people that standing opposition means that we are giving people a choice. Otherwise, they're left with with just the biggest lie in politics, which is that good people, good people, good character, <clears throat> have to, uh, they, they are obligated somehow to voting for the lesser evil. Mm. Now, that you want to talk about lawlessness? Imagine everybody voting against mo- their basic morals, morality, and conscience constantly and you're going to see moral decay in the country. And guess what? We're there, right? Oh, That's yeah. what's happened. So now to the Alexander Hamilton quote. So founding father Alexander Hamilton explained this even explained this way back then too as a, as a principle. His quote is: "If we have an enemy at the head of government, let it be one whom we can oppose and for whom we are not responsible." I'll read it again. If we must have an enemy at the head of government. Let it be one whom we can oppose and for whom we are not responsible. Mm. So at the end of the day, we we don't, you know, if you want to support, you know, issues and you feel like Republicans are are, like Florida example, right? We we have Republican controlled uh, legislator. We have a Republican as governor. And yet they act like Democrats. And it's harder to stand up to these to these uh, statists, for lack of a better word, uh, because. Uh, because then you know you're you're dealing with somebody people feel like they can't oppose them because oh at least they're talking the talking points are good, right? But that's right. making us responsible for their conduct, and that is something that we have to get away from. It's far better to have instead of defensive voting, defensive. So people would characterize defensive voting as well voting for lesser two evils, or the other way, which is vote your conscience. Let if if the if the worst character uh, gets in, but you have a strong check on them from like a legislature, then that's a preferred situation than having a unilateral, unilateral, uh, you know, uh, government where every, everybody's on the same, supposedly on the same team, but you're getting an even worse outcome. Basically, what we've had for for too long in in, in Florida is Republicans have been governing, uh, and they put people to sleep. Right. They, they put them into this false sense of security that, you know, they'll they'll defend their, their freedoms. They'll keep their taxes low. They'll they'll keep their cost of living down. And and and, and rather instead, they've been governing like we're going to increase the increase taxes have been increased four years uh, for sorry, in four years. They've increased four times. Uh, they've uh, they have ob- obviously restricted gun, uh, gun ownership or Second Amendment uh, or right to right to self-defense both in terms of by raising the age of, of to purchase a firearm to 21, uh, by installing red flag laws, which is simply another form of, of asset civil, of civil asset forfeiture. Um, of course, they've expanded civil asset forfeiture, which if you don't know what that means, it means that 
basically that they, you can, a, a police department, a sheriff's agency can seize your property, any of your property, with the notion that it is involved in a crime and they don't, you don't, and you have to go to court in order to ask for it back. Same way with, with if they, if they seize your, your firearms, because someone accused you uh, to the police department who then goes to a judge to just get a, a warrant that says, we want to see, I give you permission to see somebody's guns. So it's all based on you are presumed guilty before and you have to prove your innocence. When it's traditionally American jurisprudence, that is a legal system, is based on you are, you are innocent and have to be proven guilty. And so that is, it's, we've created a system in, in a legal system or that's being forced on us as a uh, arbitrary and capricious uh, manner of, of politically driven law. So, you know, that means that none of our liberties are safe. None of our, uh, of our property is, is secured. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've even seen, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, which is just basically a group of, of politically influential attorneys, uh, argue right. that uh, and, and try to legalize the notion of, uh, of, of this idea that government can take your property away if it has something to do with the public good, whatever public good is, again, arbitrary and capricious. So uh, when it gets down to it, you know, we have to, you know, this, this idea of, of uh, us taking responsibility as individuals for our own lives is the most important part of this process. You know, the fir- it first starts by just being free to, you know, express your preference. Because if you can't, if you're not free to express your preference, we're in a much different, that's a much different problem than, uh, than um, uh, you know, obviously culturally speaking, that's a different problem uh, the, because then there's no pressure whatsoever on politicians to not not do the status thing, to to not raise the taxes. To there's there's no pressure on them whatsoever. Then, uh, and this so this this is the the goal ultimately of what these kind of campaigns. This is you know the best example of a spoiler had always has always been this um uh this the the '92 election for president with Ross Perot, mm-hmm. you know where he said you know where he you know he got what almost 30 percent of the vote uh, that year and. You know, he could he had a shot, of course, but the, the point is that he pivoted, he he expressed issues that were being ignored by both parties, and it caused enough people in the election. Even if it, it and uh, clearly he got more votes than the difference between the two candidates, uh, and the sitting uh, president lost re-election. And maybe you know after, you know Ross Perot's famous quote in the election was, "It's the economy, stupid, right?" <laughs> and, and, right. Yeah, similarly in Florida, I mean we have a political establishment that's so arrogant and, and just comfortable. That you know they've raised taxes, they've let people uh, you know be concerned about the future of their of, of home ownership. They've you know they basically raised taxes, were allowed cost of living to increase so much that people mm-hmm. you know are wondering whether they're going to be able to afford to stay in their homes. So you know you you create that much uncertainty in people's lives. There, sh- there should be a reaction, and, right. and I think um, and I think the problem with DeSantis these days is is that he's expended so much political capital to get to where he's at that. Um, He's he has no he has a really he his only his only tool right now is really more cultural Marxism. Let's say it what it is. You know when you when you're attacking teachers, you're attacking this, and you're criticizing you know something things that are happening in other states, uh, or you're spending time criticizing D.C. when you're not really doing anything, just opening your mouth and saying something, or and you're promising things that won't happen until maybe a year or two years later. Uh, you know ultimately, and you're not you know fulfilling your campaign promises. You know, ultimately, people are going. Uh, people are going to realize that. So, I, I think if DeSantis loses, it's really going to be a check of, of him losing, not because, 
you know, because people just don't see any, any don't see any hope uh, in DeSantis turning things around. Um, and, and frankly, they, they basically lost confidence in him if they had it in the first place. This oh, yeah. guy, I mean, DeSantis is the guy who locked down, was one of the first lockdown governors in, 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 in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And he, uh, he still somehow gets all the credit for, you know, you know, keeping schools open and, you know, I mean, he's, he's really branded himself in the, you know, the mainstream media has, has branded him like the super pro freedom governor. And I mean, I think just, you know, over the course of this past, you know, almost hour we're approaching on, I, I think you've made the case that he's not, um, and, and, and we are approaching on an hour. I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but I did have one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there, but you know, I, I think it's important. So I wanted to really emphasize it here, here towards the end. Um, and, and it's prominent on your website, the, uh, the, the Florida model red flag law, um, you know, on your website, you listed as a, you know, big reason as to why you're running. And, and you did talk about it a little there just a minute ago, but if, if you could just, you know, you know, break down exactly what, what that red flag law is and, and how it's been used, uh, in, in Florida so far. Sure. So, and, uh, so Florida, so let me start with this. Florida is part of the, you know, is one of these countries states in the south the south uh everyone's heard of uh, if you're in the south you've heard of the of the term jim crow mm-hmm. uh, jim crow is a series of of um of post-reconstruction laws uh that were designed to basically keep the political establishment in power to uh, uh demotivate you know northerners from moving to the south to encourage uh free black slaves and descendants of black slaves from from remaining in the state uh, by taking away, you know, ballot access, taking away the right of, of gun ownership, of self-defense. You know, so this is, in, in Florida particularly, actually, the, the modern civil rights movement that may, you know, people have heard about, you know, in the 50s and 60s, actually did not formally end uh, until, the, until the 1980s. And so you, you still have a lot of people in politics in Florida that are, um, that belong to the generation where they remember how Jim Crow was in Florida. Uh, and you, and so, and what does that, you know, what does that mean? That means actually, you know, when you have, um, you, there was control of rep- political representation in Florida, that manner, you know, even, even more recently, there was a Supreme Court decision that showed that there was a state and corporate uh, uh, policies to, to essentially segregate communities uh, through something called redlining. Uh, and it, so it's something just saying that this is something that's actually, con- it's something that's, um, not so old in Florida that you can be it can be dismissive. It actually, it's still part of the landscape. So when you talk about any type of gun control laws, particularly in a state like Florida, you actually have to like you, you have to go back and um, and remember what this whole history of of, of you know this, the civil rights issues have been. Uh, by the way, when when the Nazis saw in the 30s saw what Jim Crow was, it they went. Yeah, they went holy cow, and they, you know, they they're the ones that said, but you know, we don't even go that far. But you know, that, that's a that's what you can that's how far you can go with that. That's crazy, you know. That let's just say that's to put it in perspective. I mean, it's colorful, but that's really what it comes down to. So back to red flag laws. Red flag laws specifically are a form of gun confiscation laws. So, mm-hmm. but the, uh, so uh, let me explain what it is. So it's specifically, it is uh, it it. it it targets. It's supposed to target people with some type of mental disorder, or some or some type of um, 
uh, uh, accusation that someone basically unstable doesn't necessarily mean mental illness could just be mad right and and uh, uh, and out of control raging or whatever right so it's typically the typical example is a, uh, a significant other is scared uh, that they get into a fight with their other significant other uh, they own a lot of guns the the person goes to police reports that there's fear for, for their life and they can't go back home because of all these guns that are in the house. Uh, the police goes to a, just based on that accusation alone, uh, either that the person is mentally disturbed, which could be temporary. Uh, they could go to a judge, get a, a warrant to seize the firearms in the house uh, and no due process. There's no jury. There's, there's no notice even to, to the person who, uh, to who's going to be who's the target of this red flag. Uh, to present themselves and defend themselves in court. So in, in other words, uh, the police is just not given the order, you know, uh, arbitrarily gone and they go to the house, seize the firearms, what, however that goes down, you know, there's a knock on the door. Like if there's any other process of a, of a, uh, of a warrant and then which could escalate or might, or might not, but either way, the, the property seized and then the person has to actually go to the court and argue for them to be returned. His property, his or her property be returned. So in other words, this is a uh, basically an administrative process that has no due process. But that's again, it's uh, arbitrary and capricious. It could be applied that way. In fact, there's some counties that's applied several hundred times uh, in a uh, by one single judge can can basically write hundreds of these orders in, in a in a year, and they have in certain counties in Florida. So basically, sheriffs like the, there are some sheriffs in, in, that literally like do a score. They keep a scorecard of how many of these they've. They've been able to, Republican sheriffs, by the way, how many of them they've been able to serve and process. So how many guns they've seen, basically. God. So they, they, it's, you know, and they're, they think that's something, you know, the, the whole machoism about, uh, about law enforcement there for you. So let's go back to how this even passed in Florida. So, so in 2017, uh, there was a, a, we're going back five years. In 2017, I'm, I'm sitting there, uh, you know, working in a uh, working in a in a, with a, po a political campaign in the area uh, of a where when a, a a mass shooting event happens at a high school in Parkland, Florida, in Broward County, South Florida, mm -hmm. uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Uh, this is the guy who's current. The, the shooter is, is Nicholas Cruz. He's currently being uh, in trial right now for the murder of 30, 30 plus people, uh, students and and adults. And uh, ultimately, the it happened at, right at the start of it was it was a Valentine's Day massacre. It, it happened at, right at the start of a of a legislative session, uh, and the, the Democrats and the national media did all these town halls. They they did all this all, all this pushing and advocacy. Ultimately, some a couple billionaires dropped maybe like a hundred million dollars on on influencing policy in Florida. There was so much public pressure on them that the the legislative leadership said little quote. We just held our hands together, we closed our eyes, and we jumped for it. So, you know, uh, just they completely caved into the pressure and the money, uh, and you know, and they passed this draconian bill called, you know, uh, you know, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act. They just straight up called it like that, and it, which which raised the the the, uh, the minimum age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21. So you could have served your country; it doesn't matter. You can't buy a firearm. It, it increased waiting uh, waiting lists for uh, for gun purchases, waiting times. Uh, it uh, and of course it, it instituted a red flag law. Uh, I think it it made I think Florida became like the, only the second or maybe the first actually 
a, a Republican-led state in the in the country to actually institute its own red flag law. And it was just so expansive, no checks, no balances on it. That that's why it was approved by uh, by the by Congress in that you know almost verbatim. Now the reality is is that uh, is that my, the how do I say this? The Republican leadership uh, in uh, so went so hardcore for it. You are not allowed to oppose it, and you are not allowed to oppose it in subsequent legislative years with even new members of the, of, of the legislature, because it was it was so such a leadership priority that, in other words, we, they put politics over principle in such a manner that they lost both, right? Mm. In other, so they were never able to actually execute any other politics, any other reforms. They were locked in on this on gun control, a hundred percent. Uh, and they couldn't uh, even that year and subsequent years. It, it's um, it's basically demoralized and undermined the ability of even of even small uh, limited government proponents to to do anything to do anything in, in in Florida government. So the only minor change I've seen anything happen is really um, direct primary care was passed. Whoopee! You know that that was already work that was already happening right. uh, for years because it takes sometimes it just takes like six years to pass anything that comprehend that important. Uh, and all it was was uh, it, it, which redefined. Um, all it did was change a word that says that it, it uh, uh, redefined direct primary care as not insurance. Does it? It's not insurance, so it can't be regulated as insurance. But okay, so back to but back to the main point is is that Republicans lost their way in such a hard way in Florida that you know in comes in comes Ron DeSantis. He gets elected in in, uh, in twenty eighteen. By the president, Ron Sanders is just picked. Uh, you know, he's randomly picked out of obscurity by some political establishment. A uh, hack, given presented as, with a ribbon uh, on a in, on a in a bow, you know, to, as a gift to uh, to, uh, uh, to to Donald Trump. And without much further ado, much more screening, he's he's uh, he's pushed to the top of of the prime. You know, of uh, he's pushed into the governor's mansion, basically. So mm-hmm. not on any issues, not on any freedom issues. No, nobody really cared about DeSantis, honestly, uh, because everyone knew, knew he was relying on Trump. And then COVID happens. COVID happens. Again, the Republicans are so weak and, uh, and uh, in terms of, of standing for what's right because they're you know, demoralized or undermined. Uh, and, you know, and frankly, it's a go along to get along system at that point um, that, you know, Ron DeSantis decides he's going to be one of the first governors to lock down everything. Start accepting federal dollars from the moment they, they come in, because you know what? Someone told him that if he declared the state of emergency, he would be super governor. Basically, uh, you know, he would assume dictatorial powers in government over government uh, in a manner that no governor in the history of Florida would have uh, to spend somewhere at waywards of what 40, 50 billion dollars that he that he himself would have unilateral control over. So. Mm. He, he did that for 475 days and he built himself a system that no longer replied on Donald Trump, but now had basically, uh, basically uh, he built up a patronage system where he was now empowering, hit, empowering allies and buying off basically support uh, for his agenda, for his po- political, uh, developing political machine that he didn't have before because he was relying on Trump again uh, to, to establish himself. And he did so and he's established that, of course, nationally as a result uh, he went along with it he bought into it hook line sinker the the he was one of the first governors to do it and and real, real, realistically the only thing he's ever been criticized by the mainstream media or by democrats 
is on some of the cultural war issues, the cultural Marxism issues, uh, whether it's um, you know him complaining about uh, you know sex ed being taught or sexuality being taught in schools, or don't get say gay bill, or or um, uh, maybe the uh, uh, the restriction uh, somewhat on the restriction of um, of free speech and and the right to assembly. He was lightly yeah, criticized yeah. on. He passed a bill like that, and, and he signed that bill. In, like I think at the beginning, the end of the spring. Uh, and you know what? The, the reality was that Democrats didn't mind because they liked that kind of stuff. Anyway, you know who the first people who were charged in that law was? Who's that? Trump supporters. <laughs> first people, first people who were charged was Trump supporters in the Space Coast in Volusia County. You know, in, inside wow. of, the, of NASA. They they were um, they they charged them under that uh, for basically. Uh, for putting, you know, uh, for standing, you know, for uh, pro- doing a counter protest and being obnoxious and putting their car, leaving their car in the way of, of traffic, uh, they were the first ones charged uh, with it. Uh, and you wow. know, that's that's really what it comes down to. It's it's never in, in, the intention of all this kind of public policy is never intended to affect the people they they say it's going to target. It's always going to target the opposite way. I mean, that's the moral hazard of it. So when I say that. Um, you know, of course, uh, ultimately, DeSantis' um, state state of emergency for 475 days empowered all local governments to basically do whatever they wanted to with COVID. So guess what? Uh, the, the public hospital agencies, a, a lot of the left-leaning or Democrat-run uh, counties and municipalities, they enacted the, everything from mask mandates to vaccine mandates uh, to uh, noise, uh, to what is it, curfews, and and they continue lockdowns for uh, through through the to the 2020 election. I'm in Miami, so I I saw there the, were still curfews and uh, curfews and and mandates of that form all the way through through the election of 2020. Um, but ultimately, even even the mask mandates uh, weren't reversed in schools until um until recently and the, the vaccine mandates are still in place in public agency hospitals now really yeah so in other words if you want to get treated by if you want to get treated in a public hospital setting you need you're going to need to either ask for some kind of religious exemption or you're going or you need to get uh you, you need to get jab you know you wow. need to get the the ouchie so when i it's not like it's not like the standards was you know following you know, Fauci's order. So he was just doing everything but, you know, the ouchie. So I call him Fauci without the ouchie. You know, be, because really what he, what he said was, what he really said was, I don't disagree. I don't agree with, with, the, with the recommendation of the, of the CDC and the FDA uh, because, you know, I see these other scientists who are telling me something different. But, you know, so I'm, I can't justify the lockdowns on my, on my own. So he just let other people do make the decision instead. Uh, wow. and, and for the most part, you know, he had the only reason why after 475 days, it was only a week or two later after that, that California reopened. And if California reopened and we're still in a state of emergency in Florida, people are going to start asking questions. So that's really what it came down to. And, and then as a Libertarian Party, uh, as, an op- as, a, as a member of the board of the Libertarian Party of Florida, we were still we were starting to make a lot of noise about that, that we're still, you know, New York is reopening. What the, what's wrong with you? Yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, everyone looks at, you know, New York and California as being states that were just so, you know, locked down and, you know, all, all sorts of mandates and everything. But Florida actually kept that stuff going longer than longer than they did. We created two types of Florida's, the ones that had had it and the ones that didn't. So you were either free wow. in some counties and free not free in others. 
And even now, you know, the, the reason why parents were so pissed is because after two years, their kids were still being masked in school. You know, and and obviously I, I consider that a form of child abuse. You know, it's it's almost ritualistic. Right. You know, you have to do this or no reason other than uh, other than we say so. You know, that's that's a religion, you know, when you don't have a choice. So the and of course, it was only last November again that that the FBI was calling these parents, pissed off parents asking for mask mandates to be lifted, uh, among other issues, um, domestic terrorists. Right. Yeah. God, man. Uh, ultimately, what? you know, it's a it's a situation where you you come in and you you look at the you look around you, and you wonder this stuff isn't going away anytime soon, and you still have people resisting the fact that a libertarian needs to needs to run these elections just to be a you know to be a political party. You run candidates. I mean, it's just very simple. But you know, when it come over the summer, you know, things things get more heated, uh, things get more challenging. Uh, you have um, again, we're, we're looking at the national red flag law. We're seeing all the the charge, the, the, the cultural Marxism that's being expressed out there in regards to, uh, you know, people wanting to focus on these issues as opposed to real issues that matter to real people. Uh, and, and ultimately, there is, there, you know, they're stuck. They're, whether you're Ron Sanders or Charlie Chris, you are kind of stuck in this. This is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to change now because I can't do anything about it, because if I try to, I'm going to fail. So. Why would I want to be uh, exposed like that? You know, rather, rather he'll just try and play the hand he's got. And libertarians are going to play the, land, the hand they got, which is in the greatest time of, of upheaval in our post-lockdowns. Uh, the, this is the first election. This is the first election post-lockdowns we're, we're actually confronting. You know, so of course, it's it, this should this idea of freedom uh, should be. Uh, should be addressed, and the, the the campaign slogan for for this campaign, for the chairman running for governor of Florida, is freedom without compromise. Oh, that's awesome! I love that, man. I think it's um, <clears throat> I think it's so important that uh, that that libertarians continue to run in these big races and challenge the status quo and and, and give voters another option, you know, an option that's really going to stand up for their, their liberties and their freedom. And, um, I, I do want to kind of wrap up here. I didn't mean to keep you for as long as I did, but I've just been so, I've been so fascinated with, with, you know, your, your answers and what you've been talking about, because it's so, it's so different than like the media coverage of DeSantis. You know what I mean? It's right. I, like, I, I, there's so much stuff that I didn't know that, that you've been talking about. I, I've been taking notes and, and everything well, just blown away at how, you know, the, the contrast, um, the coverage of, of DeSantis's Florida. And then, you know, like what, what's actually been happening there on the ground. It kind of blown me away. It, it's so, it's so, I mean, I've met DeSantis a number of times in person. I was shaking his hand. I've taken photos with him. You know, those photos may, may or may not come out one day. Uh, but the, the reality comes down to is that, uh, you know, for, one of the first times I met him was in person. I was, um, he was a proponent of the fair tax in Congress. So he was one of the spokespersons for it. So, uh, and that, that requires abolishing the IRS, right? So the Sanders went from, oh, I'm going to abolish the IRS to, I won't even say anything about the FBI, you know, raiding Trump's place and political prosecutions. I will, I'll just remain silent. I won't even call for another agency to be abolished anymore. He just that hasn't, he's, his what he's done is and he wasn't basically a he wasn't much of a constitutionalist in congress either right so it's just a you know he's played the game 
and 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 frankly, when you when you think about how he raised up the ranks and he come he came into his political career of his, uh, having basically a, a accepted the uh, the deployment to be the the JAG officer who was in charge of of, of basically the 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 torture camp over at in uh, in Guantanamo uh, for 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 years. He, he's that that's really where he's coming from. He he's he basically you know he will make the pact with the devil if he needs to. I I don't see anything else. I don't see anything that that says otherwise. Every all points indicate to that. That that's how kind of uh, unscrupulous he is with with his with his positions with his political positions. So and now he's running against the chameleon Charlie Crist, who was the <laughs> former governor. So now like what like you know what's what's really there to lose for a libertarian to sit out there and contrast these issues. Uh, but more importantly, I mean, I do want to wrap. I do want to just quickly give a quick a rundown on on issues that matter that libertarians oh, are providing please. solutions for. So, for instance, yeah. So, you know, we we have a regressive a regressive property tax system in Florida. You know, it's um we're not capped like California with Prop 13, where they have a one percent uh, increase of cap on property. Instead, we what we do is we have a something called Save Our Homes, which has only for residential property a, a like a three percent cap on the increase of of property taxes. So, guess what? Um, that means that snowbirds investment properties commercial properties get their property taxes increased by a lot and they get pat those costs that cost increase gets just passed over to to consumers regular people like uh regular people in florida so i espouse something either either just uh, straight up abolishing property taxes or going to a one percent uh, at least a one percent cap like they do straight across the board like they do in california not this wonky complicated property tax exemption system that exists uh, and, and, and frankly, nobody um, like school school districts don't really get funded directly from property taxes. It all gets collected up in Tallahassee or state government by the legislature, and then they write a check to everybody. That's really how good things get funded. Uh, those kind of services get funded in, in Florida. Uh, on the other side of that, uh, you know, what else is the biggest issue? Uh, property ta- property insurance. So property insurance is is a huge deal in Florida because we literally have a law. We literally have a law that says if you're going to get you that you mandates that all mortgages that have some kind of insurance attached to them must get windstorm insurance, windstorm like or or or, prop, or like a hurricane insurance or or they call a, or prop just basically has a category of property insurance. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that adds an enormous cost now uh, to, to 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 home ownership, but the the reality is that it's not fixed; it's variable. So inflation goes up, the the price for replacement of homes goes up. All of a sudden, the the insurance companies cannot uh, under can, cannot continue to uh, to hold on to that policy because it's just it's not they only designate so much money toward it, uh, and they start dropping people. This is the private sector. So what we have now is a monopoly on property insurance. That's a state monopoly that is also going bankrupt. So all of a sudden, uh, so when you're going to get dropped by either the public insurance or the private insurance and have to seek even higher and higher premiums. Uh, to pay to to afford to, afford to keep your house to, in order to keep your house in order to abide by the state law that says you were mandated to have this type of insurance. So the difference ends up being is if you're in a in a bad area, if you're in a a, a coastal area, your home is anywhere like 25 miles from the coast, you're going to be paying an extra eight to ten thousand dollars a year in in insurance, and just an insurance right. that gets us gets attached to obviously gets broken down in monthly payments and added to your your monthly payments for your mortgage is your mortgage will, will is the mortgage company that's going to buy by the law, even if you don't. 
uh, or if you don't want to. If you buy everything cash and you don't have a mortgage, and you know you just go without, and, and that's perfectly fine. But that's really the system that we have in place. Governor DeSantis called in in June for I'm sorry in May. He called in May for a special session to fix the problem. Or that was going to happen a month later in June. We're now in September, and it still hasn't happened. Why? You know, at this point, like I said, he's uh, he can't even convince his, le- his legislatures to do it. He doesn't, and he frankly doesn't have the balls to to go against his own his own people. And he'd rather let people basically lose their homes on mass. So mm-hmm. because that's really what's going to happen. They're just going to have to stop paying bills. Uh, on the other side of that, you know, one of the biggest uh, cost cost of living issues, of course, is energy. Like everyone's seen at the gas pumps, right? But oh, in Florida, yeah. we have, like a lot of states, we have a, we have a, a massive monopoly on electricity generation, whether it's uh, at a local, we have a big utility, which is Florida, uh, Florida Power and Light or, or Duke Energy. Duke Energy is also in a couple other southern states. Uh, and then some other places have um, smaller, uh, you know, co-op, which a co-op of, of power, uh, you know, power electricity generators, uh, utilities that, uh, that are ba- sometimes owned by Wall Street companies, actually. So in some places, uh, like in Key West, you know, you can go from paying, you know, less, you know, about around two hundred dollars for your house, for a home for a monthly bill to seven hundred dollars all of a sudden. I mean, it, oh that, that's that's crazy. But it, but the average is somewhere around three, you know, the, the average is somewhere around uh, uh, two to three hundred percent, somewhere in between there. Not not four or five hundred percent, which is which is the acute problem. Now in Florida, we we're number one for solar for solar energy potential. We don't got solar though. Uh, we, because utility keeps blocking it, um, we, we're number one for tidal potential. So you can put out buoys that generate electricity that just goes up and down on, on the waves, generate electricity. We don't got that at all. And of course, nuclear, right? So ultimately, you know, we're there's so much about Florida, uh, Florida policy that's actually governed by the federal government, whether it's nuclear, whether it's our water, whether it's a uh, whether it's um, managing our waterways. You know, we have big ass Lake Okeechobee. Uh, that that is um, is is just this is run by the federal government by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and we're not really allowed to clean it up. We're not allowed to to manage the uh, to manage the uh, uh, cl- real cleanup efforts for for that water water uh, body of water. Uh, it eventually gets contaminated by pollutants, upstream pollutants, usually like agricultural runoff. So there's nutrient rich that causes like these algae blooms over there. Right. Uh, and so, just getting, you know, you know, my my alternative, uh, I, my alternative slogan for the campaign really is, you know, make Florida free, right? Like this idea that we need to uh, have an independent Florida, but in order to really seize our own destiny, seize it, back, you know, we have to do that by just taking over control of the of the control that the federal government has on regulations here in Florida. So I said nuclear, right? Because we we shouldn't rely on uh, we have there's clean energy technology now. We haven't. The United States hasn't had a new nuclear power plant anywhere in the country for like 40 years. And the last right. one application that came in is all that you see is like improvements or expansions of existing existing sites. So if we, we assume that our own regulatory body, we can approve our own, you know, we don't need the feds for that. Uh, we, same with um, same with the water, right? It, a Florida constitution says that only the state of Florida, not the federal government, is in charge of water of water rights in, in the state. It's just simply natural that we, we would assume control over these and not even that, stop asking permission from the federal government uh, on these on these matters. Uh, and then um, ultimately, so these are the, the the big you know ultimately for like the environmental cleanup you know we, we need to stop like, like just tossing um, 
money at problems that only scratch the surface of like a, a water-based pollution. You know, we have um, basically what happens is they, they basically put chemicals in the water that apparently attaches to nutrient contaminants and lets it float to the bottom of water and just stay there forever, right? That's really what a, a lot of this is or, or a mechanical process where they suck up water uh, uh, and, and they, you know, basically have some kind of separation for, for algae and spit the water back out, you know, and uh, that's none of it goes to the root of the cause, which is right. resol resolving the nutrient pollution upstream or finding a way to to prevent or you know, capturing the nutrients. So uh, I endorse this process called uh, this process through uh, an organization called Hemp for Water, which basically uses hemp, uh, industrial hemp uh, application to fix uh, nitrogen and other nutrients uh, through their patented process that is that is not evasive that is you know obviously promotes uh, uh promotes actual he water health and uh, and ultimately gives us uh gives us a chance to actually solving the problem at its root causes i mean there's a lot of other issues that uh that really are are, are very central to our uh to the state of florida you know I, I, things like defend the guard i i'm i'm all in i'm all on board you know i'm a, i'm a libertarian we are we are the number we are the anti-war party of the united states and, you know, the, the federal government is using our, our, the National Guard to different states as a recruit backstop because who wants to go to war forever, right? Wants to see their buddies and uh, right. themselves maimed and, 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 and then come home and, and uh, you know, like one guy would, like one guy said on the Internet, you know, I lost both my legs so I can so I can see these guys uh, for, for the GI program. And then I see these guys getting, you know, their uh, their uh, their tuition debt, uh, you know, uh, pay for waived, right? right? So you know the idea that it's even you know, and you had one neocon on in, in neocon in Congress tweeting out, why did they do this? They're getting rid of the number one recruitment, uh, you know, uh, idea that we have, right? For for joining the military, <laughs> and ultimately, you know, this this nonsense, the nonsense would be stopped if we if we closed uh, if, if we passed uh, the Defend the Guard Act, which is a law that basically prohibits. The use of national guardsmen to on foreign deployments without a a, a constitution uh, a congressional declaration of war, like the constitution says. At the right. very least, these are these you know it's not like the constitution is a is a is a bad document, but obviously there's something wrong with that after two hundred that has not been able to restrict or rein in uh, the continued growth and uh, of of government and the continued undermining of of individuals and state rights. So it's really it, at the end of the day, it's only as good as the people who are going to represent it, right, and promote it and enforce it. So that's what we have to really get back to. Uh, I think we're at a level, we're getting to a level playing field between the big media companies. That's why I'm doing this podcast because mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, we the people are are the check. We are the ultimate authority. We're the ones that grant the sovereign uh, sovereign authority. We're the ones that give authority to to states to all these government agencies uh, because it originates from us, not not from them. Uh, there, there's no divine right, uh, you know. There's no a deity that came from heaven and said this. We we're giving the authority to the United States Congress or to the Supreme Court or to the governor's mansion, no, or the or the mayor's uh, or, or the um, or city hall. By no means, it's always been the people, and we're gonna get there. And we're and libertarians are ready to uh, to run for office everywhere and and really promote issue uh, alternatives to uh, to the uh, to what's the current the current situations in society, whether it's education, energy, housing. I mean, uh, 
it's not it's it's a, it's not simply about contrasting and calling out the inconsistency of the Democrats and Republicans who are just joining mm-hmm. forces in agreement. It's really about providing solutions for people who who have been for people's issues that have been ignored by both parties. So it's not like oh you're ignoring them. No no no. It's now look this is a simple this is a simple way to do this right. We don't have to we don't have to uh, deal with being ignored. We don't have to put up with it anymore. So you know that's what the you know we don't have to compromise in order to uh in, in order and and beg for our freedoms. We we have our freedoms. We we don't have to compromise any anything ever. And that's where oh, we're I at. Th- yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I and I'm you know I'm real glad we did this podcast. I'm real glad that Florida has a real solid pro liberty candidate on the ballot for not just governor but also senate. Um, like I said, really good, really good libertarian ticket there. And there's some other really good libertarians all across the country. So I think, uh, you know, I mean, people are going to be fired up once they, once they, you know, dig into the libertarian party's message and start seeing, you know, these candidates out and about. And, you know, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited for a lot of you guys come November. I think, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. Just before we wrap up here and go, you know, do you have anything you want to shout out? You know, website, Twitter handle, upcoming events, just anything you want to promote? Sure. I mean, right now, I I'm I'm sharing the news that this uh, this week, this past week, uh, the campaign has welcomed uh, a pastor Jerry Tub uh, Rorabaugh uh, from Jacksonville. You know, I uh, I'm really proud. He's the running mate, the lieutenant governor running mate for the campaign. Uh, he's he's uh, I, I've, he, he's a great communicator on these issues as well. Uh, I always wanted, I felt that, 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 um, you know, his call to action, his call to people of faith to basically not rely on government to make people better is, is something that people need to hear. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy that he's joined the campaign. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to be expanding on all these issues in a written format on the website in the next couple of days. You know, I'm I'm really excited to just be hitting the campaign trail. We will be posting some of the events that we'll be we'll be participating on. I know uh, Pastor Tubbs going to the Panhandle in uh, in a, in a week and uh, next week, and uh, we're obviously going to be doing different events for you know for the for September 11th for the you know for the remembrance the anniversary of September 11th, uh, and we have um and those are the those are kind of things that are uh, up and coming. Uh, if you want more information, you can you can check out the website or you can go to social media. It's all the same. Uh, Roosforflorida.com, R-O-O-S-F-O-R Florida.com or at the socials, same thing, Roos for Florida, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok and uh, soon to be YouTube. There we go. Go check them out. If you're in Florida, be sure to look them up and, and consider them as you go to the polls in November. Hector, it's been awesome having you on the show, man. I've I've really appreciated it. Thanks for having me.